We are going to talk about marriage, how to spice up our marriages. And so the title is what spice it up, isn't it? So we are just going to have a chat. We're going to talk, just relax, and let's have a conversation. I, I want us to talk from the day you get married all the way till there are some in this room who are celebrating 25 years. 30 years, and then some are 23 years and counting, and some are one year and a few months, and some are two years. How many under twos do we have? Under two marriages, give me a wave. Under two, okay. Under five, under 10, 15, okay, so 20. 25, <laughs> hallelujah, and counting. So we want to start, we'll start from when you get married, you know, at the beginning of marriage, how it is, how things are, and then go from there all the way to when it goes to an older age. So I don't know who wants to start, Pastor Sam or Christelle. Please make sure the microphones are all working. It's working. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, thank you, Evan. Uh, you know, I think the marriage before you get married. I think you should be excited even before you get married because if you are not excited, I don't know why you want to get married. <laughs> because, <laughs> because it's the excitement of the seeing the person for the first time. Being so... What do you mean by seeing the person for the first time? Oh, you know, when you, you, you find... Ha, like I have the under uh, 12 gone, gone to... Everybody's to, gone. Okay. Today yes. we need them in children's church. Yeah. So when you, you see the person, like when I saw Crystal, see that, mm. yes, it's a... Powerful. Oh, oh, please, we don't want theories. Today is not for theories. We don't want you to teach us about marriage. We want you to give us practical examples. How many want practical examples? Uh, we don't want theory at all. We don't want, we have, we have learned too much of theory. We want practical examples. Okay. So, you know, when you see, you see the person for the first time, you know, there's, there's so many, there are so many things that you'll be ready to do, even, you have no idea what you need. <laughs> okay, so, there's so many things that once you see the person, there should be an excitement, you know, that's what I want to stress, because it has to start on that tempo, you know, even in the Bible, when Jacob saw Rachel. The guy was ready to work seven years. Just for a lady. So he actually went for 10 years. So when you see the person, you are excited, you are happy, you are ready to go anywhere. Yeah. 
I'm just here, yeah, so I'm just saying that. So those excitement, you know, and one thing that you realize that in that excitement, you ma- you are even bound to overlook certain things. That's why I think that it will be very, very important for you to have people around you who are not so much excited like you are, who can be able to point out like this, that. And in my case, Reverend Chris, Reverend Gloria was there. And in Christelle's case, Reverend Darlene and Pastor Patrick were also there. We were always looking out to say that this guy, you know, because sometimes the excitement, you want to meet, it's all fun. You don't, you are not thinking straight, you know. Yeah. Most times, people begin to think straight when they enter. Then it's like, now it's serious business. So they are beginning to uh, find reasons why certain things, or oh, this person is like that, that person like that. What I have learned is that the person has always been like that. Always been like that. Just that because you were entering and that enthusiasm and that butterfly in your stomach, you really did not see. That's why when you enter, it's like suddenly there are issues. The issues were there, just that you overlooked. So that's the first thing that I would say. Okay, so no, no, no. Pastor Sam, I'm not happy. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm speaking the minds of everybody. We want you to tell us, we want you to tell us you know, from the first eight, 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 12 to 18 months of marriage, you know, from day zero or day one through to 18 months, some of the challenges, some of the happy moments, some of the difficult moments, some of the, you know, not so happy moments, some of the regrets, some of the, wow, this is the right choice I made moments that you had. What were those things and what were you thinking? You know, those are the things that we want you to elaborate on. Not theory. We are, we know theory. Okay, so we know that the women, the, the, everybody has a left leg, everybody has a right leg. You bring your right leg first. Mm. This is the good part. Yeah. Then when you come into the mind, you bring your left leg. Yeah. So so we want you to tell us. So the one you done the wedding. Then after <laughs> after after the wedding, happy moments. You go for honeymoon. Exciting. We, we went to Scotland, so <laughs> fantastic, very nice. Then you come back, then you see that now these are the days that things are going to start to. And obviously, for us, I think one of the things that was a major this thing is interpretation of issues. So we are coming from different backgrounds, different cultures, different languages, different understanding. So if I say that. You know, there are certain things that when I say, I know I'm joking, but maybe Christelle will say that, no, I'm not joking. Or she wants to say something, then I think that that's very insulting. But where is a very common word that is used in the house. So I think the first issue had to do with we really finding our tune, like which words are working in this household. Because I remember when we were going for counseling, everyone was always telling us that, oh, every household forms its own culture. I never understood it until we got married. Because it's like she's coming from a background that, and personally, what I would say is that I am, when you are talking to me, I listen to words. I, I listen to every word that you are saying. So it's like I take notice of every word. And she too, she says some of the words, I don't, don't you think that this word is very insulting? Then she's, I've had this not. So later on, I will see her talking to maybe her mom, her dad. Then I read, oh, so those words, they are not anything that they are very serious. You know, if you're coming from where I'm coming from, somewhere. <laughs> yeah, but so that's one. But the first thing had to do with how to 
communicate well. And the second has to be the culture. The, the culture was a big one. The culture was a big one. Christelle. I think he, um, he explained it already. I think what the few things that we encounter when we first got married was um, a, um, communication in terms of I might say something and he might interpret a different way and he might say something and I might interpret a different way. And um, also the culture as well, the background, because he comes from a different background, I come from a different background. Um, but we had to be able to work these out, sit down, you know, observe things um, in the marriage, especially when we first started. Um, we couldn't understand, so every little thing, you maybe might have an argument, or as time goes on, you realize that um, things start to align itself because we realize that this was the main issue and the main problems in um, our communication, so yeah. You know, I'm very conservative. It's like, this is what I know. I'm sticking to it. I'm not changing. She too is always trying new things. So that one too was a bit, because it's like, I know this food. That's what I'm going to eat. <laughs> and obviously, she's not a Ghanaian to cook my, my oh, obviously not fufu. I'm not a fan of fufu. <laughs> to cook my, 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 my granite soup, you know? Peanuts. <laughs> so, at some point, you are like, this is God. But I think it all has to do with, you know, when you are, I always go back to the counseling because, and I think that counseling is so important. Because I remember when you were counseling, one of the things that Reverend said is that some things take time. You know, and that thing is something that has stuck with me for, sorry, because indeed some things take time. Because it's like, you know, sometimes even with character, I want, the, I want the hair to change, like, no, 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 no. For hair to, no, but I can't. There's, at some stage, it's resistance. And even with myself, sometimes you tell me something and, and like, it's as if I'm not taking it. But as I'm on my, by myself, and um, the thing is playing back in my head, then I'll be like, oh, after I was wrong. So sort of, I can go back and uh, apologize. And I think one thing is ability to see so when you are, you are. Because sometimes you have become so proud, you know that I'm right. This thing, I'm so right, eh? There's no way I will say sorry. But I've learned to say sorry even when I'm right. <laughs> I think that's a good, that, that is a good thing. You say sorry when, even when you are right. Hallelujah. Okay, so um, I, 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 I'm, I'm still not happy, but I'll leave it for, for, for now. We'll come back to it. You know, so it, it Maybe, maybe, Christelle, let's take it from here. What would you say to your first five-month self? What advice would you give to your first five months, first nine months, first one-year self in marriage? Assuming somebody like you is getting married, the first nine months or one year, what would, you, what would be your advice to the person, the lady? What should you do? What should you not do? Okay, for me, um, I know it might be um, a bit surprising, but um, before I got married, well, I planned my home wedding before I actually met my own husband. No, they didn't know. Tell them. Tell, 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 say it, say it. So I planned my whole wedding before I met my husband. My color, 
I was, that was one of the shocks of my life. <laughs> we, we went to, I, was, I went to London. We went to O2, I think O2. Then we said we are going to plan the wedding. Then she brought this book. <laughs> so me, I was like, and before then, yeah, and before the reverend had told me that when it comes to wedding, don't try to argue your way. You will never win the way of the argument. So just comply. I said, okay, so. So we started, then she brought this book. Everything, we know how the, the, the designers have stitches on their, on their book, like, you know, this one. Every stitch, everything is there, everything. So I said, so what are we going to do now? So basically what we did on that day was that my name was written on the other side of the invitation <laughs> time. <laughs> so, so yeah, that was... <laughs> So yeah, so I planned my wedding before I actually met my husband um, because um, I stand on the word of God that, you know, he will provide me with, you know, my Boaz. So um, I planned it and I stand on his word. So basically I planned my wedding. I bought my wedding dress. Um, oh, you so know. you bought your wedding dress before you met him? So I know, I knew exactly what my wedding dress was. Yeah. So when he said, when he proposed to me, I bought my wedding dress. But I knew exactly what my wedding dress was. I knew how much it cost. Did, did you hear that? Um, did you hear that? Oh, nobody's clapping. I think it's a, it's a clapping moment there. So she worked on faith. She worked on faith. She had yeah. a plan. She had a book and everything. So I even planned to the details of what food we're going to eat, everything, before I actually met him. Um, so when he came, it wasn't a surprise to me because, you know, God already told me, so I've already planned it. So when everybody was asking that, you know, are you stressed, are you this? And I was like, no, I'm not because I've already did all that in the background with God. And I also um, prayed about it as well. There are times I'll pray about it as well. So I planned before my wedding. So by the time I got into the marriage, when, um, in, in terms of like, for instance, even my relationship with God, because... Sometimes I, I believe that when we ask God for something and he doesn't give it to us because we're not ready for it, because he know if he give it to us there and then, it would destroy us and our relationship will scatter. So um, my relationship with God, I spent that time developing it with him that when I met my husband, that I wouldn't just say, God, see you later. Bye-bye. I've already got what you got. Give me. So I've done that. And then... Um, in the marriage, I knew that, for instance, we'll anchor to difficulties because we're coming from two backgrounds. Um, I once wrote a book by one of the general that said that if you don't like difficulties or you don't like challenges, stay away from marriage. And when he read that, I was thought, oh, well. But when you got into the marriage, you realized, wow, he actually knew exactly what he was saying. Um, but two things that actually kept me in the marriage was understanding the purpose of why God puts you together because I believe that everything has got a purpose. Even your marriage has got a purpose because God puts you together for a reason. And um, I think sometimes that is missing because when the challenge and situation come, the first thing you decide, oh, I don't want to be with that person. You know, I regret marrying that person, you know, and all these things come. But when you understand the purpose of why God puts you together, um, it helps you to go through the difficulties in the marriage. And the second thing that stood, um, worked for us as well was, you know, our relationship with God, um, building altars in our home, praying together, you know, standing on the words together, because 
when God puts you together and for you to fulfill that purpose, the enemy, you know, and challenge won't allow you to do so. But when you stand on the word of God, you'll be able to fulfill that purpose. So these are the two things that helped me. Okay, wow. Oh, put your hands together for that. Um, so, how I know that when we get married, the first few months, there's a lot of happiness, a lot of uh, shusha. You know what shusha is? You don't know shusha? Okay. A lot of sex. Do you have, oh, why? Do you have a problem? So, all that, what are the two or the three most happiest moments and how, how they, they spare you on through difficult times? Did, did you get it? That's the first question. And the second question is that, what are the most difficult moments that makes you really you got to the end of your tether, but an advice that somebody or that you had, or like you said, a book you had read or something that gave you encouragement to make you want to move on or stay on. What are the, the two encounters? Just You can give us a practical example or give us an example and how you dealt with it. I think with the issue of happiness mm. in the marriage, you know, the Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes that your wife is your, uh, it's like in, the, in these days of vanity, you must enjoy the wife okay with vanityness. Mm. Yeah. So I think that's one thing that, especially if you are even working in God, you know, I think you are a Christian and you have the mindset that, oh, me, it's only one woman that I'm going to go with. You must really make sure that it's that woman and you are enjoying the marriage. You know, so when I say enjoying the marriage, you know what I'm talking about. Have a lot of romantic uh, encounters and uh, uh, what do you call it? Banters. You know, powerful ones. I hope you are taking note of the words. Okay. What, what is a banter? Oh, so like Reverend said, Young, young people, a lot of energy should be able to have a lot of sex. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, a lot, a lot of it. It's not... Hey, Pastor Sam, we thought he was very anointed and holy. How, does he, how is he able to do some of these things? No, Evan, you know... <laughs> yeah, you know... I think when, while we were going for counseling, I think both Reverend, because um, we were counseled by both four pastors, and one of the things that they mentioned in the in the um, in the counseling was that, you know, sex makes your marriage healthy, into the fact that when you're having a quarrel with your husband or even to agree with your husband, you should, you know, intimate so that you guys come to agreement, and I sat long in the counseling and I was like, what? You know, what are you saying here? Because I'm thinking to myself, really? What am I going into? But as you enter into it, you realize that it makes your marriage healthy. You know, as you intimate, have intimate with your husband, you know, um, you, you can do it to how, you know, you, uh, you, you make an agreement with your Preach. husband when you, you can be able to do it. You know, but I think it's necessary in your relationship and in your marriage as well, you know, um, to spice it up a bit, yeah. 
All right, all right, all right. You know, what, what, the reason why I, I ask that question is that, you know, a lot of us, especially in this, our modern days, we are so busy, sometimes we don't even take time to have the honeymoon period. Some people get married and then within two days they are back at work. And so that experience is, is taken away. And you see, you need that experience for the day of trouble, the day of adversity. When, the, when you, you, two of you are so angry, one is facing east, the other is facing west. You, can, you should be able to play back your honeymoon period to, to give you a reason to press on. Am I, I, I making sense? So never ever, in, in my advice to those of us who are not married, who are looking at getting married, do not, do not forsake your honeymoon period. In fact, the Bible says that when a man gets married, he should not go to war for two years. It's, 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 it's one year. It's one year. One year. Find the scripture for me. Deuteronomy 24 verse 5. Put Deuteronomy 24 verse 5 up so that we all look at it. Be, between the two of they've been having they've been having discussion on this this uh, verse. I think that is one of the best scriptures. Okay, so, so it says that a man, when a man has taken a new wife, he shall not go to war or be charged with any business. He shall be free at home one year and bring happiness. What do you think happiness means? Happiness to his wife whom he has taken. If you don't get any thing from the, this uh, discussion today, take this scripture home. Be happy. Okay? And, and, and one thing that I also want to add to it, that even when you are married for 30 years, always in every year, give yourself a week where you practice this scripture. Oh, you didn't hear what I said. Listen, Please, whether you are single or you are married or you are planning to marry, whatever, I think that what we are discussing is really important. Do you understand? We are joking, we are laughing, but it is a vital part of living a joyful life here on earth. Do you understand? Crystal said something about the fact that intimacy has a way of even dealing with issues. Do you understand? Because that intimacy will let you realize that together we can handle things. Together we can resolve things. And this scripture was not put in the Bible by accident. Yeah, it was one of the first scriptures I memorized after John 3.16. Okay, so, so Pastor Gloria, Pastor Gloria uh, answer this question. Or oh, Christelle, answer this. A lot of ladies say that um, you can't have ha uh, sex whilst I'm not happy with him. So I have to be happy before, when everything is honky-dory, when everything is lovey-dovey, then I can have sex. But, I mean, I'm angry with him. I haven't spoken to him in a, in a few days, and you say I should have sex. How is it going to, how do you square that circle? I think that the, one of the things that we realize is that if you're a Christian, your counseling is really important. And your counseling is important because it will help you to walk in a certain way. Because if you are going to use your feeling and environment, then it means that your sex will be subject to. But, you know, when you are being counseled, you come to understand that 
we have dutiful sex, we have pleasurable sex, we have all kinds. Do you understand? So sometimes, when you are angry mm. with your husband, you still cook chicken. You still cook fish. You still give him food physically to eat. And this is also a meal that is needed. Do you, do you understand? So, so, so I think that your praise not only... It's only one person who claps for this thing. It's only one person, the whole church. Believe me, may the Lord bless you. <laughs> yeah, especially the women. Because no, but you see, can I talk? Listen, generally, there are always exceptions to the rule, but generally, men have a higher sex drive than women. Generally. But okay, I have, as I've grown as a pastor, I have adjusted that description. Do, do you understand? But generally... So as a wife, even if there's no issue or there's no anger or there's nothing, generally, women are not uh, generally even initiators of sex in marriage. Do you understand? So it is, it is not something that you can say that, oh, if, if I'm really excited, if I'm re then it means that hey, it will be monthly or yearly or, you know, Annually, you know, to be crazy. So I, I think that you have to separate that responsibility. Do you understand? But I think I need to speak to the men also because even if you're, there's something that has been, you're upset or whatever, listen, the thing about sex is that this kind of instantaneous sex, it's not nice. It's not good. Do you understand? It's only after you have finished with your Facebook, you have finished your this, and you've come and say, hey, I have a wife. Hey, okay. <laughs> it is a challenge because... Men are moved by sight. Women are moved by... Men are moved by sight. Women are moved by touch. Do you understand? So the process has to start all day. You see her around the house, you hug her. You kiss her. You say, oh, you're looking nice. You look at your legs. You see, you people have left all nice things for unbelievers and for, you know. But scripture teaches us. That's why Songs of Solomon takes time to give us detailed descriptions of it. Because if all day she has seen your nice text, you sent her a love hug, you know, you've kissed her, you, you know, you touch her this, you touch her bit here, you touch her, you touch some bits. By the time you get... What she, touching bits are you talking about? I don't understand. Oh, the, 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 the discussion has only started. We'll get there. You do understand? We'll, we'll get there. Uh, I mean, at least those online... we. Um, if you have your little children, let them go and watch a Peppa Pigs and then come back. <laughs> do you understand? Because we, do, we only do this periodically, but I think that it is so, you know, today I, we had to teach and things, but sometimes we don't really have to teach something. We have, because we've taught a lot. Do you understand? Sometimes we need to talk practically so that you can apply it practically. That's why I'm saying that when it comes to the sex, let's demystify it and let's stop making it so look so filthy or so ungodly. Let's separate our before salvation life to our after salvation life and realize that actually there's a lot more joy in sex that God has ordained and blessed. Do you understand? The marriage bed is undefiled. Because one of the things I was going to talk about is that we like to talk about finances. We like to talk about our children. We like to talk about... We have to talk about sex as a couple. Most people have never even had that conversation. What do you like? Where do you like me to touch? What? We don't... Oh, can we do this? Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
They are looking at me like... The way they are looking at you, afraid. <laughs> okay, Holy Ghost fire. <laughs> you know, you know the Holy the, Spirit... But the thing, is, the thing is, for most of us, we, are, we encountered sex at the wrong time in our lives as uh, unbelievers. So, for us, sex is, connotes sin. And unfortunately... For most of us, even when we get born again, we get married, we still can't shift our minds from sex being dirty and sex being a sin to it being godly. Uh, are you with me? And that is how come it's even uncomfortable when we come to church and we are talking about sex. There are a lot of people, I'm looking at your faces, even behind your mask, I can see you are uncomfortable. Can they change the topic? Isn't there you know, can we not change, change the topic? Can we not talk about something? I mean, no, they, they we are not going to talk about, about anything. And you know, roses, chocolates. Hey, we say spice it up. What are we putting the spice in? Hallelujah. Yeah. So, so, let me come back to you. What was the question again? Yeah, you are angry with him. He's, he's annoyed you. But you have to find a way. You have to make sex happen. So what goes, what's in your mind? And what are you, what's your thought pattern? Um, I think we shouldn't be familiar with our spouse. Um, because even if he get angry with us, with you, um, I think... If he, is, if he asks you for sex, then you said, okay, yes, you give sex. Sometimes when you finish sex, maybe he might give you the opportunity to discuss what went wrong. And by that time, their mindset might, they might listen. So I don't think they should say no. So you use sex after sex to negotiate and find... Sometimes, it, well, it, you know your spouse. No, no, it's fine. This is great. You, it's it's, it's you, a revelation. I think you should take uh, your time and explain that bit. <laughs> Everybody, I think it's a, it's a, ladies, are you getting something? Very powerful revelation here. I think every, you know your spouse, you know, you know your spouse, you know. I, After sex, he's lem. <laughs> so all the mind, the mind has gone from the top to the bottom. So now you can talk some sense into his head. <laughs> I'm saying that everybody knows their spouse, you know. So you have to know what your spouse is like. Some people, it might work for them. Some people, it might not work for them. You know what your spouse is. But personally, um, I, I know my him. husband. So if my husband is angry with me, I know he's not going to be angry with me for too long. So, you know, he may not be able to talk about the issue right now. But maybe later on, he might talk about the issue. So it depends on if you know your spouse and what he wants. Powerful. Powerful. Brother? very important because you know sometimes if you come from your background you never like actually saw your mother had your father or your father had your mother you know that thing, even when you are doing it yourself it's like it looks uh, how do I call it odd you know even when you go to SU and uh, the scripture they taught us Job 31 1 I've made a covenant with my eye not to look like see men like trees so it's like, uh, you know, when I remember, <laughs> they say that friend, uh, boys, they are, they are, boys' friends are boys and girls' friends are girls. You know, that if you come with that mindset, 
and you are even doing it, you are not really, uh, what do you call it? It's like you are not very comfortable. It's like you have to really come out of yourself to be able to do it. But I think it's something that we all have to consciously decide that uh, you are going to learn how to do it. Because, you know, I always see that the Bible, if you want to look at the Bible in a particular shade, you see that you see that they were, apart from their relationship with God, they are very romantic people. Like you look at Isaac in Genesis 26, verse 8. Abimelech was looking and Isaac was sporting with him, with his, with his wife. So you see that even though Isaac was somebody who was very close to God with all the accolades of being a patriarch, he was still somebody who was also a romantic guy. So I think that it is something that we to also pick that especially Christian men, you know, you have to try as much as possible that in the house, and not just the house in a way. And I think that's also another important thing. The house, you change, you go to a hotel, you... Alice, before you try to explain. Oh, I think it's a very important thing. You have to take your time and explain that bit. He said not just in the house. Sometimes you take her to a hotel, you know. Change the environment, doctor. Thank you. Hmm. All right. Okay. It's getting a bit spicy now, isn't it? Uh, okay. So we'll come to your questions. If you have a question, just write it down, and we'll come to the questions. Um, I want to take it from Pastor Claude. Do you want to start from? Or I should start. Okay. So I'm going to start from from the book. I'm going to start from chapter eight, chapter thirteen of the book. Um, he says how to keep your marriage alive. And he says that when the dust is settled and the whirlwind activity of the wedding preparation is over and the big day has come and gone, the honeymoon is done and the real business of marriage begins. Now, how do you keep the marriage alive? How do you sustain the relationship? How do you avoid sinking into the rot of normalcy, routine, and stagnation? You know, anytime you become routine-based, it stagnates the marriage. You become very normal and you get into a certain routine and that kills the marriage. There are a lot of married people who are not friends. They are professional husbands and professional wives, but they are not friends. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because for you to be a friend, you must have things in common. But the only thing we have in common is that we share a bed and occasionally have sex. But it's like I have my own world, and she has her own world. And anytime we meet, it's like, so I have the children eating. How was the school? Did you did go for the parents' PTA? What did they say? You know, the, the bill has come. Can you pay? And then that's it. That's just normal business of marriage, and there's no friendship. Remember how when you, you met her for the first time, you met him for the first time, you spent so much time, you know, calling her, visiting her, you find things to chat about, things to, a lot of times when people get married, they, all those things they forget. So I said, when you, when, what I'm saying is for the rest of your married life, you will need to con, contend with the particular chapter that this book said, that the, this particular chapter as a tool for guidance or training. Most people think you are married, everything is when you get married, everything falls into place. 
the statement could not be any further from the truth. It is amazing how God put the first marriage in a garden. And then uh, uh, Genesis 2.15 says that, Then the Lord took man and put him in the garden of Eden and tend, to tend and keep it. Verse 16 says that the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every, every tree in the garden you may freely eat, but the tree of knowledge and of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat, you shall surely die. God put man in the garden. The, the wife Eve came to meet man in the garden. The, the, ironically, the garden or the marriage, the first marriage was conducted in a garden. A garden signifies beauty, a place of beauty, a place of serenity. But yet a garden unattended grows weeds. A marriage unattended develops weeds. Are you with me? So the first thing we must understand is that when we get married, we, our duty of learning each other, understanding each other, developing the marriage, developing the relationship doesn't end. I know some men who say that, ah, but I told you I love you when we got married. And since then, I haven't changed my mind. So why are you? No. That your spouse always needs to hear you say, I love you. Are, are you with me? Your spouse needs to hear you say, I love you. A, a lot of times, ladies want to hear their husband say, I love you, I love you, I love you. It makes them feel good. It makes them feel wanted. It makes them feel that they are still in the game. Are you with me? But ladies, I also have news for you. Your men or your husbands also want to hear you say, I love you. It should be vice versa. It shouldn't be that every time you are waiting for him to say, I love you, but you never say it. You know, sometimes, occasionally, when he's cut his hair and he looks good, say it. Uh, uh, when, when, when she's gone and gone to the salon, spent all day braiding her hair, eight hours, nine hours, and she comes, don't just ignore it. Say it looks good. I, I, I put a story here, a story that a, a, a pastor wrote. I wrote it in the book. It says that this woman will go, she spent a long time dieting. She lost two, two dress sizes. To, to impress the husband. The husband never one day said, oh, you have lost weight, you are looking good. No. The, husband, the wife changed the wardrobe. The man never recognized it. The, the wife would go to the salon, spend all day braiding the hair, come, and the man would never say anything. So one day she went to the salon, cut off all her hair, and dyed it red. And she came to the house with a red, short, cropped hair, like a boy. Like a boy, like my hair, red. And then as soon as the husband walked in, he said, Oh, what happened? Who did this to you? And the wife said, You did it. It was you. You did it. He said, How did I do it? I have lost two dress sizes. You didn't see. I changed my wardrobe. I've I've done so many different hairstyles. You never ever complimented me. 
because you are blind. So I had to do something to shock you, to make you see. You don't have to wait for your, he- your wife to shock you before you see that she's looking good. Do, do you understand? Compliment her. Hallelujah. Compliment her. Even, even, I, 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 I think that if you invest in her looking good, if your investment is in there, you will, um, you will enjoy it and you will appreciate it. You know, and because what Reverend is saying, you see, sometimes it's just a little thing that you have taken her to a shop. She's tried a couple of clothes on. They're like, no, the, the purple fits, you know, I think she go for the green. Yeah, yeah, it goes with that. You know, and then she comes and it's like, you take her out for a meal and she's worn. And it's like, because you have to learn and practice that. And it will be good when your investment is also in it. Do you, do you understand? One of the things, as a husband, it's not that maybe she can't afford it or whatever, but it's also one of the things that shows that you are nurturing her, you are covering her, you are caring for her. You know, it's not any expensive thing, but it's just like a new scarf or something, you know? Then you can appreciate it and know that. But if you, are, you don't even realize what it takes to go in it, you, can, you may not even... I think, I think one of the best things, like you're saying, one of the best things that a husband needs to learn to do is to go shopping for the wife, buying clothes for the wife. Oh, yes. Spice it up. Listen, if you go and shop for your wife, you buy her church clothes, whatever, and you also buy her nice uh, pajamas. She doesn't know. You don't know the size. No, no, no. You have to know. You have to know the size. Today, all the sins are coming out. (laughs) You have to know. You have to know her size. You have to know her size. It's it's criminal not to know your wife's size. You have to know her bra size. Her, her panty, panty size, size yeah. her nightgown size. Oh, oh, please. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean... And wh- it will take a while so that you will learn. Listen, when we got married, the first few things Reverend bought for me, I it never didn't wore work. them. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> One day he went somewhere, abroad somewhere, brought a whole bag of things. I looked at all the things. I said, I, this I one... Went, I, let me tell the story. Let me tell the story. I, I, went, I went with my pastor to America. We toured a, a few countries in America. I went to this particular uh, country. Can I mention a, a place? Okay, Panama. Panama is a, one of the places all their clothes come from America, but they are about a tenth the price of our, uh, the shops in America. So when we got to Panama, we saw these nice clothes and we went to the mall. And it's like a few dollars, you can buy some nice. So I brought, my whole bag was full of her clothes. Shoes, yes. Shoes, nice shoes. Unfortunately, all the shoes were not. Not even one. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, this guy, you, you see the shoes I wear? When you saw this shoe, does the shoe look like me? I kept, so at a point I was like, you've got to sell these shoes. Because, I mean, they are new shoes. There's somebody on this earth who may like them. But it ain't me. And I think he learned his lesson. I think from that day I learned. He learned his lesson. No, no, this one doesn't go. That one doesn't go. Now I go, when I go to a shop and I end the clothes I pick, that's the ones that she likes wearing. That becomes her favorite. You know, but I had to learn. Bags now he's ex- in fact, he's better than me at bags, you know. Even uh, uh, jewelry, he's able to pick jewelry 
you know. But he had to learn. He had to study and see what she likes. What? No. You see, and, you the, know, the, the reason is the reason is this. The reason is this. When you invest in her, she becomes more attractive to you than somebody else. Do you understand what I'm saying? A lot of you see men are moved by sight. And they are moved by sight that they are not used to. So if I'm not used to a lady in like very nice black dress and with a very nice purple uh, chain and I see it, I will look. Forgetting that my wife can look equally as beautiful if I put those, that same black dress on her and the same purple or, or, on her. Do you understand what I'm saying? So rather than me admiring somebody's wife, why don't I buy the dress and invest in her so that that person passes by? I don't even notice because my wife can put it on better than anybody else. You get it. Yeah, because I'm invested in the, in the dress. I'm invested in her as she's working. I am sure every husband in this room, when your wife dresses and looks good, you feel proud. You know, Pastor Sam said something because we are talking to people online. We are talking. If you're online and you are being blessed, you should, you know, put a heart sign, a huggy. But I think that different cultures, different environments have different things. And that is why now we are a family in this house. So we are learning and we are building our culture so that marriages in CICC, this is how they look like. This is what we do. This is how we roll. This is how we live. This is what we expect, and we are not settling for less. Do, do, do you understand? Yeah, because you will invest anyway. So you might as well invest in the one that is yours. Can you imagine that you cook nice food for outsiders? Then you, you don't eat nice food. No. So, it's, so, so it, it's, it's, I, I, there's a, another story that I say here that um, one day I was joking with my next door neighbor about uh, uh, my garden being ugly and his garden being very nice. I said to my next door neighbor that I have brown fingers, which means that anything I touch dies. Instead of green fingers, I have brown fingers. So it's always like I'm killing every plant. And then he said something. It's because you never have time for your garden. You know, I, use, I can use five minutes to mow my lawn. Front and back. I have a garden in front and garden at the back. I, I kid you know, five minutes. I finish this side. I'm walking up, walk down, walk up, walk down. I finished. Then I put that everything away. No, but he spends the whole day. If it's his garden, he spends the whole day mowing. Sometimes he has, he has uh, scissors that he uses to, to trim the edge of his garden. Me too, I haven't got that time. I have to go and do something. You know, and, and, and it's no wonder that because I didn't put a lot of attention and time and effort and money to my garden, my garden never looks as beautiful as his. You know, one day I, I spoke to my, my uh, next door neighbor because there was a lot of weeds. You know, the, I don't know what they call it. There's a certain name for It's like the grass it has some, it looks green, but it's not green. It's like, it's like carpet weed. That's, it spoils the, the grass. It's, it's got a name. And every time I try to, you know, I buy weed killer, it doesn't work. 
So one day I complained to my neighbor. Then my neighbor said, oh, there is a certain mower that you need. Then he went into his garage and he brought a certain mower, which is different from the normal lawn mower. When you, put, when you pass it on the grass, it only takes those weeds out. I can't remember the name, if anybody knows the name. And so he brought it out and then he, he, he showed me how to do it. And as I was doing it, all that was picked out of the, the grass was that weed. You know, and I said, wow, can you imagine in, in marriage if somebody invests in the mower that picks weeds? It means your, 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 your marriage will always be nice. She says sometimes some people look at someone, why is these people, they're always happy. Their marriage is always nice. And me, I have this grass that, your, the mower, my mower doesn't work. No, it's because you haven't bought the right machine that you need to use to mow it. The way you talk to your wife, that's why she's always angry. You're using the wrong mower. You have never invested in the right thing. <laughs> hey, please leave me alone. Let me preach my message. Remember that all the right things don't necessarily need money. Most of the right things that will make your marriage work is not about money. Rich people don't necessarily have good marriages. So we can just dispel with that. You understand? It's doing. It's, it's just have. little details, little attention. You know, I know a lot of us in this room who don't like the book of uh, Songs of Solomon. But I, I will say to you that that, that book, Songs of Solomon, who, who is, are those? Oh, they are not here. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's a book that you must read it. You must go when after this, go and read it. And, and, and the reason why I say that is that you see something about the writer of the book that he was very, very. His attention was on his spouse. My, my fair lady. Her, her, her breasts are like fountains. And you describe, you, say, you must have watched the person's breast to see that they are like fountains. And you, you must know even how your wife's breast is. You must. It's not just. Okay, she stopped blushing. She's the reason why I've stopped talking. She, she was getting <laughs> nervous. And, yeah. Remember that a lot of the things are seasonal. Do you understand? So even as, as, even as your husband is changing, your wife is changing, that is why right from the day you get married, enjoy it till the end. Because you remember when the breast was pointy. Mm. You remember when it came down. You remember when it fell flat. You remember? <laughs> when you went to sleep. So if you were married and you, it was standing and you never, you know, and... <laughs> Because I think you guys I, should be able to jump in anytime you feel like jumping in. Because, okay, because no, don't at the point, point, it's thrown to the children. Ask the mothers, who are, breast, the mothers who are breastfeeding. <laughs> Listen, sometimes even to breastfeed, it's you just toss it. <laughs> or you do over the bar. <laughs> it's either back pass or over the bar. <laughs> oh, All right. Okay, let's go on. So a, a, few, things, a few things that we need to... Uh, do to spice up our marriages. The first thing I write in this book is that remember what caught your attention when you first met your spouse. 
Because it's something that made her stand out of all the women you've seen in your life. That thing must be something you never forget. You must always go back to it. Because that is what is going to keep your interest in her. And for vice versa, for, for the lady also, remember the thing that caught your attention about him. And work on that thing. Are you with me? Remember the things that made, the, made him or her happy. I, I write here that I remember the, the first, when she came, what made my wife come alive. When, we walk, when I walk into the kitchen, you know, in, in a house, she lived in a place. I walked into her kitchen and helped her cook. As she was cooking, I was cutting the onions. We're not married then. You know, and, and then I realized that that made her come alive. We're talking, you know, having conversation. My, my, this girl, my girlfriend, or oh, I was trying to befriend her. She was very strict. You know, you know how her resting face is a frown. You know, and, and she was very, very short. When I say short, she was very short in terms of her conversation. She's like very abrupt. She's not a conversational person. You know, back in the day, she was not a very conversational person. She was like, how are you? Fine. So, what is happening? I don't know. I haven't thought about it. You know, and she had that, those type of short, short answers that if you're a guy and you don't have a lot of raps, you won't want to, you, you, you leave. You get it. But then I realized that anytime. Anytime we went to, uh, I went to the kitchen as she was cooking and I was cutting the onions or cutting uh, tomatoes or something for her. It's like she comes alive and she will chat and she'll be laughing, cracking jokes and everything. That was then. 24, 25 years later now, anytime she's cooking and I go and stand by her and I'm cutting the uh, onions and tomatoes and everything, that's when she's at the happiest. Are you getting, or, or I go and I'm washing the bowl as she's, she's, she's cooking. It's like we get the best of time to chat. You, you, you get it? Sometimes we are chatting, then some people are also coming in and batting in and trying to spoil the coffee. You want to just kick them somewhere. You know, but it, it's great. Are you, are you with me? So those little things, don't forget it. Remember. You know, she used to like, you know, we go for a long walk and we are chatting. She likes those things. Me too, I don't like walking long. When I'm walking, I have a reason to walk. I don't walk by heart. <laughs> you know, this type of long walk for no reason, uh, it's not me. But those days, I used to do it. Now, I used to do, you know, it's like, oh, let's go for a walk. It's nice. Are you getting what I'm saying? Those things don't cost anything, but it helps to spice up. You know, she, she was saying something. You know, sex for a, a lady starts from the morning. You know, helping her to cook, helping her to clean. You know, my wife likes it. When you clean the, the, the house or you clean the room, you have one feather in the cup. <laughs> you, you get it. Or you, you do something, you lay the bed, you have another feather in the cup. You get it. Even when, let, let's say, I've done something that she's angry with me. One of the when and I clean the, the, the room, clean the bathroom. Immediately, it's like, 
one feather in a cup. You clean the bedroom, one feather in a cup. You know, so in the night, it's like, even though she's angry, it's like, because you have cleaned everything, you have access. Anyway. Uh, and now, now, so I, I'll do number two, and then as you can do the rest. The next thing is that learn to do things together. Learn, learn to befriend each other. Okay? Friends do things together. Amos chapter 3, verse 3 says that can two work together except they be in agreement. A friend, a friend is somebody that you agree with. A friend is somebody that you have something some things in common. And I put in this book that even if you have two people who are drug addicts and they, they are both into drugs, they, their marriage stays longer because they are doing something they, they like to do together. You know, don't have a, uh, your, your spouse doing one thing, you two are doing something. You don't have any common interest. You don't have any common commonality. And then Pastor Sam was saying something, learn to play with your wife. Do you get it? I mean, me and my wife, we play. We you know how to play. We know how to put music on and dance in the house by ourselves. Yeah. Sometimes we dance. Sometimes there's no music. I, she's, she, that's one of the things that annoys her uh, that I like doing. That she'll be, you know, busy doing something. Then I'll go and hug us like, let's dance, let's dance. And then we'll be dancing. Before, when we got married, like, let's dance. She, she, I can easily get a slap. Because she's like, what kind of nonsense is that? <laughs> you know, it's like you, you don't have any, any, any burden on you. You are coming to the... No, no, no. But now, even when she's not, her mind is far away. It's like, let's dance. She'll join to dance. By the time she's done it for a few minutes, she feels happy. And I, I feel happy and I go away. It brings relaxation in the home. I don't know why you are laughing. My, my whole household is, uh, uh, is being exposed in church today, isn't it? Yeah. But I pray that it's helping somebody. Do you understand? Yeah. Because marriage, for some of us, is going to be 60 years, 70 years. Do you understand? So we've got to make sure that it's always tasting nice. Do you understand? Yeah. If there's not enough salt in the marriage, you put it. If there's not enough Sugar in the marriage, you put it. Whatever it's lacking, you know. But you can only know if you're paying attention to it. So. I, yeah. I also want to say that I think as much as possible, we should try and lighten up. My personal, I like sharing a lot of books. We should try and... It's true. <laughs> try and lighten up. Because, you know, you can't take everything very seriously. You know, sometimes. Because my wife sometimes... Have you done it? Sometimes let me <laughs> very serious, very serious. Like everything is being planned to the T. No, no. Just sometimes I don't know if it's my temperament. Like you. Sometimes let's just be happy. You know, it will be done later, but let's be happy. <laughs> I think I think it's good that we we lighten up, we lighten up. Otherwise, we if we create. Because one thing I feel like that sometimes you enter a place or you are talking to some people, you have not been with them for long, but you, you sense tension. You sense that there's so much, it's like heaviness in this place, yeah. So I think like as much as possible, even personally yourself, 
try to uh, what do you call it? Lighten up. And, and I think for what you're saying, one of the things that makes the home very tensed is sometimes the decoration that we put in the house. You know, the decoration can make you tensed. Sometimes even the color or the, the, the brightness of the light makes you feel tensed. Have you not realized that when you go to restaurants, the lights are very dim? How, how many have noticed it? Or when you go to hotels, hotels, you never put, they never put headlights, you know, ceiling lights. It's always like uh, lamps, you know, in one place or the other. And it's because it sets the atmosphere. Are you with me? Learn to set the atmosphere in your home. You know, one of the days, I, I, I learned that by experience. One of the days, I, I just, we changed the light. And, we, and immediately I realized that even the tension in the, in the, the conversation had gone down. And learn to turn the TV down. Because when the TV is loud, the children are loud. The light is bright. There's tension in the house. How many know what I'm talking about? Because you, you also start shouting. Even when there's not something that you should shout about, but you don't realize your voices are up and then people are getting angry. You know, so bring, bring everything down. It's, it's another way of spicing up the home. Change the, 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 the ambience. Change, change the furniture if you can. Put some red, some light. It helps. I think especially in the bedroom, your bedroom must be relaxing. One of the points that we, our time is almost up. Do people have questions? But one of the things that uh, is in the book is the fact that do not fight in the bedroom. You understand? So that the bedroom must be like a place that is reserved for relaxation. Do you understand? For sleep, for fun, for intimacy which means that it must have that sense of loving in it. Do you understand? So like your sheets, you know, what goes on in the bedroom. So if you, are, you want to, uh, if you have an issue you want to discuss and it's a very heavy issue, don't do it in the bedroom because remember that, you know, this heaviness and things we are talking about and all that, it also comes from words. Do you understand? Scripture says that as we walked and talked, the spirit entered into me. Do you understand? The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit. So that think about it, that if in the bedroom, the words that go on in the bedroom there is, I appreciate you. I'm so grateful. You're such a great mother. You're a great wife. You're an amazing husband. Thank you for taking care of us. That room is saturated with appreciation and longing and wanting. Do you get it? So I think that the what you value most about your bedroom is the fact that here we don't do you understand when we come in here it's like if you come to the altar the expectation is different if you come when we come into the bedroom we want to rest from the day we want to rest from the children we want to rest from you know so you have to let the bedroom you know if you can if you have a lot of places in the house as much as possible don't turn the bedroom into everything else you know and then yeah. Amen. The, one, the, the one thing that we're going to really talk about was also the fact that which is in the book and I think everybody should 
I hope you guys, the book that you have, you are reading it and not just having it. It says, learn to solve problems on a weekly basis so they do not build up. I saw this scripture in the Message Bible, um, Psalm 90, verse 15. It says that, make up for bad times with some good times. We've seen enough evil to last us a lifetime. Do you understand? And so we have to make sure that when there are issues, we should not... I, I put a few things there. I said, talk. You know, anything you do not talk about can turn into resentment or it can turn into resistance. Because if something is bothering, something is wrong, and nothing is said about it, nothing is said about it, it becomes... It creates tension. You can't laugh and joke when you are really upset about maybe a financial issue or you are really upset about, you know, being disrespected. Or you can't, the joke will just go way over, you know. But that is why we also learn how we talk. Do you understand? How we talk. Sometimes even when you're trying to be loving, the way you talk is not loving. Hey, you're looking nice. <laughs> really? Do you understand? Today is today. In fact, you know, one of the things you have to learn is the fact that, as well, when you have children, when you have children, doesn't mean that your your mind should not be spicy. You just have to rearrange how you spice it. Do you understand? Now you have to have terminologies even on the dining hall table. The children will never understand. You know, the wife can ask the husband, "Today are we going to Jerusalem?" You're going to Judea, <laughs> Judea. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you have to find your own ways of, you know, having certain levels of conversation with nobody else understanding. But I think that the talking is one of the most important things. Talking spices up your relationship. Talking. Talking. You know, and the fact that I know that I can talk about anything to my husband, interesting or not interesting, serious or not serious. You know, it's a sad thing when all your main issues you take to other people. Do you understand? When something really good happens to you, you have to call your mother or call your cousin or call somebody to share the victory. When you're going through a challenging time, you have to call your cousin, call your pastor. Before you have called your pastor, have you spoken to your spouse? Have you, do you understand? It's like, it also shows the value you place on them. It shows how you regard them, their opinion, you know. So talk to them, you know, talk to them about the good things, the bad things. Talk to them about what you like, what you don't like, but talk talk don't turn your home into it okay so let's let's end this way um to do you have questions okay so get the mics up for question time but uh, before we do that just two quick points that you think we can you can do or you can suggest that will spice up your marriage not just your marriage but every marriage so just think about two things quickly that you think. We have said a lot of things, but I want you to just think two things quickly. So uh, I think Pastor Glass just said uh, talk. Uh, and when you are talking, it should not always be serious. Learn to even crack jokes. Learn to, you know, lighten the tension. The fact that you have bills and the fact that you have issues doesn't mean that you must not laugh. Learn to laugh. Okay, learn to share jokes. Yeah? And then at least one week out of 52 weeks, learn to go on holiday with your wife. 
It doesn't have to be anything expensive. It doesn't have to be expensive. You can just go down the road, you know, down the road and just go and stay somewhere for a week. Just with, you know, forget about looking for money or anything. Just go and spend time with, with them. Because especially when the marriage becomes older, as it gets older, you become so used to whatever you're doing in life that you don't have time. You know, but that one week is like another honeymoon that you are reliving. You know, let the children be around. If you like, come and leave the children with me and go. Do, do you get it? So that me too, I leave my, anyway, I don't have, I can leave, come and leave my grandchildren with you. <laughs> Not so cool. <laughs> but are you, are you getting what I'm saying? Yeah. Let's, let's learn to do that. It, it, it helps to spice up the marriage, okay? Holiday. This morning I was asking my wife if um, lockdown is over and we have one week, where in the world do you want us to go? And I said, she was local. praying. She was praying in the middle of the prayer. I went to ask this foolish question. <laughs> you see how unspiritual I am. <laughs> I said I want to go to Morocco. The, the, the lady was praying. You know, she was really in the spirit. She was praying early in the morning. And I went to her and said, if everything is over, we have to go on a holiday. Where do you think? Morocco. But, but I, can't. <laughs> I was like, why Morocco? <laughs> Because that is where I want to go. <laughs> because, you see, one thing I've realized, the fact that you are praying doesn't mean that I'm, our marriage should stop until you finish praying. No, I should ask because my question is also important to me. Okay, so I've given you time to think. <laughs> I think that uh, one main thing that most marriages uh, struggle with is when there's a conflict. So, because this is disagreement, conflict, that will lead to either people trying to stay, not to stay together or to get divorced or anything. I think one thing that we have tried to do is that we've never decided to discuss any of our issues with either of our parents at all. Because even sometimes, personally, I test my mother. I sort of, because my mother is, is, is my side virtually every time. Not for marriage issues, but like, even anything that you want to discuss with her, she's by your side, mm. you know. So I think that's one of the things that if we try and do, if we can get people who are neutral, especially our pastors or whatever, people that, if both of you cannot talk the issue out and it's becoming a, very contentious, everything. But as much as possible, let's try to avoid our parents or people that we think will be biased towards us. Because, you know, if the person is biased towards you, you might think that the person is helping you, but the person is actually not helping your marriage. Mm. Because, you know, it's, it's, it's better not to win an argument and to have your relationship than to win the re an argument and lose your relationship. There's no point in Winning arguments that will, I'm right. So, so I think it's very important when it comes to, because that's what keeps coming, keeps coming, uh, misunderstanding, conflicts, everything. And as at a point too, I think 
one of you should try to not be, both of you should not be at the same tempo at the same time. Like all of us are angry at the same level. I think one should be. Most times, maybe if I'm angry, my wife is lower. Sometimes if she's also very angry, I say, oh, but why are you taking this thing very seriously? And she will, you know. So I think as much as possible, we should try not to give in, give in. Yeah. What about you? Amen. Um, I think I said it before. I think personally, um, you know, as as couples, we should, um, you know, pray together. I think that's very important as well um, in the marriage as well. Not just because a lot of people say, oh, I'm praying to wait on for my spouse. And when they enter into the marriage, you know, like, for instance, if when I met my husband, we were praying together, you know, so that shouldn't stop when you're actually in the marriage. You know, praying together as a couple is very important. And then I said it before as well, you know, discovering why God put the two of you together. I think it will help, you know, many people overcome challenges in marriage. Amen. I, I think that for me, one of the things I encourage all married couples is that your level of intimacy may be in different degrees, but whether in the home, outside the home, always try to nurture the intimacy. Always try learn how to hold her, their hand, you know, give them a rub on the back. Ask even simple things, are you okay? You know, just, and it's intimacy. When you think about intimacy, don't just think about sex. There's a lot more to intimacy than that. But just, you know, being able to reassure them, you know, give them a squeeze on the hand, you know, showing your gratitude, you know, being able to hug them. Just little, little things, signs of intimacy. I think that, and do it in front of your children too. Do it in front of your children. It's a great learning process for them. Better, if you don't show them that mommy and daddy love each other and this is how marriage works, somebody else is going to teach them. Bigmama.com. Forgive. Going to teach them all kinds of crazy things. So do, just, just do it. It's, I know it's some, for some of us, it to be a struggle. You know, I'm too manly, I'm too masculine, I'm too, you know, calm down, unwind, like possess and relax. It's not that serious, you know. Ivan says adult education. <laughs> Any questions? Any questions, quickly? I think we have spoken for a long time. Just one question, one or two questions. One from this side, one from that side. Do you have questions there? Yeah. yeah. So quickly give us a few questions. One person asked, how can I revive my first love for my spouse after several disappointments? How can you revive your first love for my spouse? For your spouse. After several disappointments. After several disappointments. Disappointment. I think you should, you, should, you should relive the whole marriage again. So try in your, in your mind to woo them again. Go through courtship again. Learn to befriend her again and go through the process. Through that process, you realize why you married her. And it will help to spice up and reignite the marriage. I also think that the way we are wired, we tend to focus so much on the negative. 
So even though he said after several disappointments, but in between these disappointments, there were great appointments and so many things that were great and nice. So if you want to spice your marriage up, you want to, you've got to also focus on all the nice things about her, all the amazing things that she does, all the things that, she, you know, she's walked you through, she's been with you, she's stood by you, so that it can also, you know, help you overcome, you know. And husbands and wives, let's go. Let's go. So Grace, Grace says that love the discussions. So I'm just reading comments from uh, Facebook. So next question. So Dave said, how far shall my, how far should we tolerate our in-laws? Okay, okay. So, how far should we tolerate in-laws? You see, it, that statement or that question connotes a certain phrase that I don't think, for me, it's a red flag. The questioner has a red flag because in their mind, it is not my mother. Because if it is your mother, you won't put tolerate. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because it is somebody else's mother, you see it as tolerate. If it was your mother doing the same thing, you give excuse. You make excuse for her behavior or misbehavior. Do you, do you get it? Because it's your spouse's mom or spouse's parent, you see the behavior for what it is. You know, in, in that is the answer to the question where you must give, make excuse. Assume that it's your mother who is misbehaving. Do you understand? Because once you get married, it's not his, his mother, my mother. It is my mother. Take the law out or the in-law out. It is your mother. And so your, if your mother is harsh or your mother is mean, it's still your mother. You don't love her any less. Do you understand what I'm saying? If your mother is rude, it's still your mother. You still love her. So see your mother-in-law as that, and then you, it will give you a way to live with them. I, I don't, I'm just wondering whether this person is talking in terms of the in-laws, like living with them, or because when you get married, you know, how many times do you see your in-laws? I mean, what are the seasons and what are the relationship? Do you understand? So I, I think that, like Reverend is saying, it's not just your mother-in-law. It's, it's your mother-in-law, it's your father-in-law, you know? But I think that as a couple, you must set the boundaries for everybody, for your uh, siblings, cousins, friends, you know, your parents, because parenthood never ends. So as a parent, your mother can come and say, hey, your house is dirty. Is this the food you're cooking? You know, so you have to set the boundaries. But tolerate is definitely a bad word to, to use. Yeah, it's not a very appreciative word, so I don't think you need to tolerate them. You need to love them. The person can there can there be love after adultery? Cut them. Can there be love after adultery? Yes, they can. It is forgiveness. Remember, after we sinned, God still loves us. So after he or she has sinned. You must love. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Isn't that what the scripture says? 
So, so long as there's, there is um, an acknowledgement that I have sinned and you have decided to forgive the person, then walk in forgiveness. Uh, does that clear, clear the, the, the question? Yeah, so don't, don't forgive, but you haven't forgotten. And then hold it as a, 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 a cane over the head of the person. So that anything that she does or he does, you remind her of that, remind them of that and use it as to, to beat them all the time. I, I think that if, if the person has made a mistake, you know, and has repented, I think you should forgive. I think we draw the line where it becomes repetitive because then you become an enabler to the adultery because it's like if they go and have an affair and come, I'm sorry, they say I forgive. They go and have another affair, come, I'm sorry. You understand? Because mistakes happen. Could be whatever, you know, but when you see the pattern going, you should also know that he needs help or she needs help, whoever is committing adultery, you know, and they should get the help, you understand, so that the marriage can work. You know, otherwise, you, you'll be grooming something that you can't, you know, cope with. Yeah. It reverses, yeah. It's true. So, you know, uh, <laughs> okay. So, so it's like it, it, it's like um, once when you get my the first few years, the first the junior to mid years, the mother, the the man is the aggressor, the one who is always chasing for sex. The hunter, when he gets to a certain uh, age, then the cycle shifts where the woman becomes the hunter and the man is the hunted. So it happens in marriage, you know. So uh, when you are a lady, when you are younger in marriage and you are like, mm -hmm, remember that there will come a time that you will be chasing for it. <laughs> so it is very true, it happens. Akwesi is waiting and there's expectations. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, Bula. But before that, some of the greatest grace of Facebook says that I feel that you need wisdom from the word of God to relate peacefully with your mother-in-law. Yes. It's very true. I feel that you need wisdom from the word of God to relate with your in-law. Yeah. Um, when a person is uh, cheating on you or um, has committed adultery, you, you can forgive them. Uh, but at what point can you, because the Bible does say that divorce is also, uh, sorry, um, adultery is, can, can be the only reason why you, um, a husband and wife can divorce. Mm. At what point can you say, um, 
okay, I've had enough. I'm going to um, divorce the person. Is it the first time or do you have to? I think, I think Pastor Gla answered that when it becomes repetitive. And even, I, I think also is the fact that somebody can have an affair and not even see anything wrong with it. Do you understand? It's almost like you're forcing them to be sorry. Do you understand? You're forcing them. It's like, you can't see her again. You shouldn't go and see her again. You are fighting a losing battle. You know, I think the question that was asked about the adultery was being answered from the point of view that the adulterer was a mistake. What was, is apologetic and is repentant mm -hmm. and wants another chance. Do you understand? And as a wife, so long as, you know, you also pray about it and then, you know, and you can do that. But where you have uh, an adulterer who even glorifies in it or feels that I'm a man and I'm entitled to do whatever, at least you have married you, these people, I'm not marrying them, you know, then you know that you are in a very serious situation. And, and like we said about the mother-in-laws, everything we discuss, you must always realize that it's relative. Do you understand? To your special circumstance. That's why the wisdom of God and prayer will also help you to navigate. Or sometimes you need to come to your pastor and get counsel if it is something that needs counsel. Grace says something here. I think it's very important. If your partner is truly sorry and you know that the affair was a genuine mistake, then you must purpose in your heart that your marriage or your relationship will not be defined by that mistake. Purpose in your heart to put it behind you and move forward with your marriage. I think that trust can be rebuilt. So even if you are struggling to forgive, their level of repentance and their action to their repentance will draw you in and will help you to let go. Do you understand? It's a, it's a very annoying thing when you are being counseled or you are being told, oh, let it go. It's not, let it go doesn't, it's theoretical. Forgive. It's very, all of us know that forgiveness is not easy. Even the person who took your chicken, piece of chicken, it hasn't been easy to let go. So it's not, it's not an instantaneous thing, but it's a process that both of you, because remember that trust has to be rebuilt. And trust was, not, even though trust can be broken with one action, Trust cannot be built with one action. It's a process and it's something that will be ongoing. You know, and as it goes on, you see that you, are, you become more relaxed and it's easier to let go and then hold on to.